If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open them up to Luke chapter 24. The title of the sermon this morning is called Our Hope in Trials. Um, I'm going to read, the passage I'm going to read, Just I'm going to go through a lot today, but the passage I'm going to read, and I'm going to read 28 through 34, and we will pray and we will get into the Word of God. If you would, for the reading of the Word, would you stand with me? And I know y'all use different translations here, but like Dylan, you know, you know what I'm going to use, right? The RAV? Y'all know what that is? That's Ron's authorized version? No, I'm using the New King James Version, so here we go. In verse 28, it says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them, and now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the Scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Father, this morning or this afternoon, Lord, I want to bow before You with my brethren here. I am in much need, Lord, of Your grace. I am in much need, Father, to be filled with Your Spirit. I pray, God, that, that in all of whatever takes place, that You would get glory for Yourself. That Your Word is proclaimed and that Christ is magnified. In His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop to what is going on here. About a week earlier, Jesus had come in what is commonly called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the people were shouting, you know, Hosanna in the highest. And they were, the king is, you know, the king, our king is here. They were looking, they, they, they believed this was the Messiah. He was coming to redeem Israel, right? Well, we go from that to Jesus eats the Passover. He institutes the Lord's Supper in Luke 22. And then we go to the garden where Jesus is praying. He knows that His hour has come. And we go from there to where He's arrested, He's denied, He's mocked, He's beaten, He's ridiculed, He's scourged, He's crucified and buried. And you'll go from like Luke twenty-two forty-seven all the way through 23 and verse 53 and you'll find all of those things in there. And so that kind of gives us the backdrop of what's happening. So you're going from a point to where the people are looking for Jesus to come in. They've been looking for their Messiah for thousands of years. And this to all end up with a Jesus who's in a tomb. We're going to be talking about our hope and trials today. Because you need to understand some points here that I just want you to ponder on. 
I've got six things here that you, you know, you can write down, you can get my notes later, whatever. But I want you to know something about the Christian life. Trials are a guarantee. No one escapes trials. Matter of fact, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. Everybody goes through trials. They are a guarantee. You need to know this, there's two types of trials. There's those that are common to all men everywhere. Everybody deals with taxes. Everybody deals with, you know, a loss of family, whatever it might be. Everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, you deal with those types of trials. But there's those kind of trials that are only for Christians. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecutions. So we have those two types of trials that we're going to deal with. The third thing to think of is this. We have trials and we have temptations. You know, and you think of it, a, a temptation is a trial, but the difference is this. Trials are what come from the outside. It's just like our nation right now. And, and it's funny, I, I really wanted to preach a lot out of 1 Peter, but I knew Brady was about to start. I didn't know it was going to be next week, so I'm glad I didn't really go there. But uh, that's where I'm going. I'm going through 1 Peter in our church. And the reason I went through is because we look at what's going on in the world today. You look up at Canada, and I think now there's four pastors who've been arrested and put in jail and you know, being hassled by the government. Folks, it's coming to us. I mean, I can just tell you this. It's hard to really prepare for something you've never had to deal with, but we need to understand that trials are coming. And these are things that we're going to have to deal with. So when, whether we're dealing with trials that are common to everybody or whether we are dealing with trials that are only for Christians to go through, the thing we want to always maintain is that we go through these trials as a Christian, as someone who follows Christ. The fourth things are this, trials, and I'll read some of these here. Trials are to test and to purify us. And I will read this out of 1 Peter. Listen to this. In 1 Peter 1, Start beginning in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. He says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, in this, you greatly rejoice. And we can look back at all of those things, and Brady will break those things down point by point, I'm sure. But he says, but for now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved or distressed by various trials. Now listen, he says, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, it may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your trials are for the testing. It's to test the genuineness of who you profess and who you claim to be. Do you realize that when we talk about being saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and all the alones... You cannot separate faith from obedience. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's easy to say, I believe, but when the testing comes, and whatever it may be, how do we go through these trials? 
Well, this is where that testing comes in, and that testing is for purification. It's, it's to conform us to the image of Christ. As you go through life, the older you get, people should see less and less of you in you and more and more of Christ in you. And that's, that's the, one of the greatest evidences that we're born again. Well, the fifth thing is this. Trials, they produce patience. In James chapter 1, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, I kind of jokingly with my church, you know, when it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let's be honest. Nobody hangs that one on their kitchen wall, do they? I mean, we've got a lot of verses we like to hang out you know, up in, in our house that nobody puts, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Nobody, nobody's thinking that. So, oh, you know, I didn't even explain the, the trials and temptation. I talked about the trials. The difference between trials and temptation, let me back up just for a second. Trials are what comes without. The temptation is what comes from within. It's that part where Satan is warring in our mind and saying this is too hard. You remember the story of Richard Warmbrand? If you haven't got to see that movie, Tortured for Christ, you ought to watch it. I mean, he's beaten every day pretty much. And there's no doubt this temptation to cave in. All they're saying is give us the names of your church. Give us the names. Quit praying, Wormbrandt. And he just kept praying and he wouldn't give the names and they kept beating him. See, the trial was coming from the outside. The temptation is that part inside where we want to we cave and we want to run away. And we don't want to cave to those things. And that's where those temptations come in. One is pressing you from the outside and the other is a struggle on the inside. Well, the last one is this. Trials are for God's glory. We go back over to, to 1 Peter and in chapter 4, down there in verse 13, listen to what he says. I think I'm in the... Oh, I'm still in James. I thought nothing looks right there. In chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, he says, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Have you ever, as a Christian, you know, you became a Christian and you thought all my trials are over? I mean, I went through that. I thought, man, life's great. Now I'm a Christian. It's just full of joy. No, that's when the trials really begin to count for something. And so he says, don't think it's strange that these things are happening. But listen to this. This goes along with count it all joy. He says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of God and of, and of God, or the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You want to know the key to counting it all joy when you fall into different kind of trials? 
Well, when you, when you are looking temporal, when you're looking right here, it's kind of hard to do that. But when you have the mind that this trial that I'm going through, this is for the glory of God. And when it's for the glory of God, it's for our good and it's for our rejoicing. How did Peter go from denying Jesus three times and turning his back on Him to being whipped with John and they went away rejoicing. It says they, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Now let me, let me just say this, church. All of this preaches well so far, right? Now I'm not eloquent, I'm kind of choppy, but it, it ain't gone too bad so far, right? We can all say amen to these things, right, Jamie? These trials, I mean... But here's what happens when, when, the real, when real life starts happening. I mean, my title today is Our Hope in Trials. First of all, I want you to understand what the biblical definition of hope is. It's not a wish. It's not like, you know, we cross our fingers and maybe everything will work out right. No. The word hope, biblically speaking, means a confident expectation that what God has promised, it is going to come to pass exactly as He says it will. So our hope is a confidence. So when we're going through these trials, our hope is in God. Our confidence. Because I'm going to tell you something. You're not always going to understand the trials that you're going through. It may be years. It may be you may not ever understand the trials that you're going through in this life. I mean, when Wormbrandt was being beaten for 14 years, I mean, you go, that's a long time. There were other men who were beaten longer. There were others who were beaten longer and died in that prison. And he was released. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know. I, there was a, one of the pastors, they brought his son in and beat his son to death right in front of him. How do you explain that? I mean, I could sit there and tell you of a truth today, it was for God's glory. That does not make it easy. That's why he said, right now you may be grieved going through different trials. But our confidence is in the God that we serve. And we're going to look at how that all comes about. And I'm glad Brady preaches a long time to y'all. I've listened to his sermons. I'm like, good grief, Brady. 86 minutes, you know? So, so that gives me a little encouragement today. So, so we get to our text here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go from twenty verse chapter twenty four in Luke, beginning with verse one. We're talking about our hope and trials, but I want to I want to start with this: what causes us to lose hope in our trials? And I've really narrowed it down to two things. The first one is unbelief, and the second one is a wrong understanding. Okay? A wrong understanding leads to a wrong expectation. A wrong expectation leads to a loss of hope. A loss of hope leads to confusion, frustration, anger, and bitterness. With that being said, let's look at the text. I've got this kind of broke down. We start in verses 1 through 12 with. I've called this part three women and some friends. Listen to what it says. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
And then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. But it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now I want to, I want to tell you something. They're coming. Now remember, just a week earlier, they were rejoicing. They were, you know, Hosanna. I mean, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, the King is coming to take over. He's going to redeem us from Rome. He's going to establish His temple the way it should be. He's going to set it up. We're going to rule and dominate over our enemies. That's what they were looking for. When they came to the grave today, they're coming with spices to prepare His body. You don't do that for living people. You do that for the dead. And they came to do that, but what they found was a a stone rolled away. They found an empty tomb. And there's these two men standing by in shining garments. And then it says, as they were afraid and and they bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. You can go to Luke chapter 9, and 21 and 22, but I'm going to back up to chapter 18, and I'm going to read that section there. It's in 18, 31 through 34. Listen to this. It says, He took the twelve aside and He said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For He will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge Him and kill Him. And the third day He will rise again. Now listen, but they understood none of these things saying, this saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. I mean, He tells them in chapter 9, He tells them in chapter 18, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again. It just, you know, I know that in God's providence, He hid this from them. But Jesus is speaking the Word. Doesn't that happen to us all the time? I mean, we we read Scriptures, we hear things taught, we understand it in a way, but we're kind of like, I think I get it. And you can tell somebody doesn't really get it. Well, they didn't get it at all. I mean, you can almost just see him walking and saying like, I don't really know what he's talking about because you know he's fixing to reign. He's fixing to become the king, you know. I don't know what that stuff he's talking about. There's probably symbolic. Who knows what they were saying? But on this day, these ladies came. These three women and their friends came three days later to anoint the body of Jesus with these spices and such. And after they told them that though, in verse 8 it says, they remembered His words. And then they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But look at how it was received. And their words seemed to them like idle tales or just nonsense. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed, marveling. He was astonished. He was wondering, 
to himself at what had happened. We see right here, we've got two problems. They don't understand what has happened, and now they've got another problem. The body of Jesus is missing. So now, we don't understand. We all thought this was going to happen, but it didn't. We, we thought it was going to be a big celebration, but it ended up in a crucifixion and putting a Jesus in a tomb. And now, women go to the tomb. He's not there. They tell Him this story that... You remember, He was going to rise from the dead, but they looked at those women's testimony as nothing. You have to understand something. Think about this. When Jesus was born, shepherds came and, 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 and they were the ones bearing witness, right? Do you know that a shepherd's testimony and a woman's testimony was about equal? Yeah, if that's who you're banking on for your witness, you're probably going to jail. Just to put it like that. So here are these women come. Now I want to make one short little brief statement. It's incredible to me what people do with Scripture. They will take a passage like this and say, See, women can be pastors right there. You gotta just wonder about that stuff. No, that's not anything to do with that. That has to do with the fact that these women came back and told the, the disciples that this Jesus was not in the tomb. So, so here's what happens. You go over to the book of John and it says that Peter started running to the tomb and then John outran him and they go in and they find it so. And they believe the report that somebody had stolen him away. So here's what we're, where we come to. It says... In verse 13, we come to the next point. And let's do this. We're going to kind of do a 3-2-1 thing. We started with three women and some friends. Now we, got, we have two men traveling together. Now it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So they've got this walk that's going to take them I don't know, probably three or four hours, something like that. I don't think they're walking fast. It may take them longer. But they're, they're walking, you know, they're going to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And it says, and, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. So, you picture this scene that these two men are walking, traveling to Emmaus, and, and, and all of a sudden Jesus just starts walking with them. But they don't see Him as who He is. They don't know who He is. And it says, in verse 17, it says, He said to them, He says, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? <sighs> You, you've got to picture the scene a little bit. You've got to... I went to a funeral yesterday. One of the younger men in my church was asked to preach this funeral and you could see people walking you know, to their vehicles and stuff sad. You'd have to magnify that about a million times to understand when they're walking in this sadness. I mean, there's a pit in their stomach. They are sick. They are grieving. And Jesus walks up to them and says, what kind of conversation is it that you're talking about? What, what is this? And then one of the one whose name was Cleopas, he answered and said to him, 
Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? So most of y'all are probably too young to remember the Murrah bombing. But Jamie remembers it. Trish, Brady. Y'all probably remember it somewhat. But it would have been like the Murrah bombing and somebody coming to Oklahoma City and going, hey, what's going on? I mean, it's, it's all over the, the, the news worldwide. And it's like, are you the only guy? Are you from Mars? Do you not know what... you got to understand something. When Jesus was crucified, he, it was on a road. It was a public road, like a heavy traffic road. And they did it that way in Rome. They, they, I mean, the Romans did it that way. And what they were saying was, we want everybody to see this. We want you to know what's going to happen to you if you do these types of things. And they say, are you, are you a stranger? Do you not know what's happened in these past few days? And He said to them, what things? And so they said to Him, now they're going to, they're going to break this down. And, and here's where their misunderstanding is. Listen to this. They said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers they delivered Him to be condemned to death and crucified Him. I mean, think about this. He was, I mean, they, remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus? They said, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God because no one can do the things that you're doing unless God is with him. Do you know what Nicodemus was really doing? He's coming at night, and I, you, know, you can say what you want, but I figured it was probably so people it wouldn't be in the open. But he says, look, there's some of us that are really wondering, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been expecting to come? Because none of us are doing these things, and you're doing these miracles, and nobody can do those things unless God is with them. That's what they're trying to find out. And they say, He was a prophet. I mean, do you remember when they sent the soldiers, and they said, go, go get Him. And they came back, and they said, where's He at? And they said, we ain't ever heard nobody speak like this man. I mean, the very words of Jesus knocked all the the soldiers backwards. They said this Jesus of Nazareth. They wanted wanted to know which Jesus they're speaking of. And He said He was a prophet, mighty indeed, mighty in word before God and all the people. Our chief priests and our rulers delivered Him to be condemned to death and crucified Him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. I, I want you to understand something. You see, when you have a, a wrong understanding of Scripture, it's going to lead to a, a wrong expectation. How many people do you see out there today believing the lie that we're never to be sick? You see, you see, like when you see those crusades and such and those people getting up there, what they will never show you are the people genuinely crippled, genuinely about to die, lined against the walls because they've been told something out of Scripture that is wrong. And they have a wrong understanding. They're looking for a wrong expectation. I mean, many of you know Justin Peters, you ought to, his testimony. Without the grace of God, it would have destroyed a young man like that. It is important to understand Scripture properly. Now listen, 
But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Now what they're saying is, they're saying, at this point they're saying, all of our hope was in Him. And it all got dashed when He was crucified and they put Him in that tomb. And then, now we're going to add to the problem. And they said, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find His body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. And then certain of those, Peter and John, who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Him they did not see. You see the two problems they have here? They don't understand what has happened. And now they don't even know where the body of Jesus is. I mean, can you imagine how horrible this would be? We talk about going through trials. But there was no trial greater than this one. This was the Messiah. This is the one when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. All of our hope is in You. Lord, I'm willing to fight for You. I'm willing to die for You. We know You're the One. But they, they, their understanding was wrong, wasn't it? And all of their hopes at this point are all dashed. And now they don't even know. They, they, did somebody steal Him? What has happened? They're not believing the women. So we go to the next point. And the next point is one stranger teaches. So we've had three women and some friends, two men traveling together, and now we have one stranger is going to teach. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He asks the question, he says, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Here's this stranger who knows nothing, it seems, of what has happened. And now he asks the question, Are you so unwise? Did you miss the Scriptures? Shouldn't the Christ have suffered? Shouldn't He have died to enter into His glory? Did you miss all those things? I mean, and look at this. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Now there's a Bible study I would have loved to have attended. You know, you ask the question, why would Jesus hide Himself from them? I mean, if we were doing it, we would think He would go up and say, Hey, Cleopas, it's me, it's Jesus, I'm alive. But He didn't do that, did He? No, He let them tell what they understood. He, he said, what are you talking about? And, well, we thought He was going to do this, and we thought He was going to restore Israel. We were going to get some social justice, right? But it didn't happen. And now the women come and said, He's gone and we don't know where He's at. And, and then Jesus begins to explain Himself to them from all the Scriptures. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. 
I mean, think about it. What do I, you know, I, I don't know. Did he cover the entire Old Testament? I don't know. I mean, if anybody could, he could. It doesn't tell us what he did, but things come to my mind like, don't you remember when Abraham took Isaac up? Don't you remember reading that God will provide Himself a lamb for the, for the offering, for the sacrifice? Don't you, don't you remember? You know, I, I told you that Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. When he, on that day, when God said, don't take this, the young man's life, and they turned around and what? They see this ram caught in a thicket by his horns. It was a picture of the gospel. Here's the Lamb of God. He's, he's come as a man. He's under the curse of man. His deity is, has been brought under that. I mean, He's laid that aside to, to come and, and they offered up that ram. And even though Abraham didn't fully comprehend it, he knew that God was going to prepare a lamb. Or what about Isaiah 53? Didn't you read that the Father was going to crush Him for our sins, for our iniquities. Didn't you read that? Didn't you read there in, in Psalm 16, now, you know, there wasn't 53, 6, you know. Don't you, didn't you read that? Where He says He's not going to allow His Holy One to see corruption. He's speaking of the resurrection. Peter preached a sermon. David wasn't referring to himself. David is buried. His tomb is with us today. He was referring to Jesus. He said, doesn't you get that? Can you imagine what's going on? I mean, they're, listen, their first problem is being answered. We don't know what's happened. And he's explaining himself. You see, Jesus could have simply came and said, hey, it's me, Right? But do you me tell you something? Jesus could right now just open up your heart and your mind to see things like you've never seen. But you know what He wants? He wants you to know Him in His Word. He wants you to know Him intimately in His Word. He wants you to know Him experientially from His Word practically in your life. Working that out. That's what He wants. So listen to this. It says, They drew near to the village where they were going. And He indicated that He would have gone further. So they, they get to their destination and they're like, well, here, here's where we're going. And Jesus is like, okay. And He's, he's like He's going to go on. But they constrain Him saying, abide with us. Because it's, it's toward evening. It's about dark. He said, the day is far spent. And He went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as He sat at the table with them, that He took bread. He blessed and broke it and gave it to them. The second problem is about to be answered. Then their eyes were opened and they knew Him. And He vanished from their sight. Remember the first problem is we don't understand what's happened. He's explained that. But they still had another problem. We still don't know where Jesus is. 
And when he takes this bread and he blesses it and he hands it to them, their eyes were opened and they knew it was the Lord. You want to know what the hope you have in your trials is? That no matter how difficult things are, we serve a risen Savior. We serve a risen... Listen, he goes on here and he says, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us on the road and while He opened the Scriptures to us? And they rose up that very hour. Now remember, it's dark, right? It's just about over. And they rise up right then and they return. I don't think they were walking. I think they were running to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. And those who were gathered, or who, who were with them, gathered together, saying, now these are the ones that they were going to, they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So, Jesus has appeared to these, and by the time they get back, they said, the Lord is risen. That's their message. Do you understand something? Today, when we, when we hear about people preaching the gospel, and it, there's a lot of that here, right? And praise God we do it right, at the best of our ability. Today's modern day gospel presentation would not preach in the early days of Acts. Because it sounds something like this. Hey, did you know Jesus died on the cross? Now picture, you're in the days in the very early part of the church. Yeah, we know He died on the cross. Well, do you know that He, he, bled, and, he bled and died? Yep, I was there. That don't preach, does it? Yeah, there was another guy on his right and another guy on his left. They were making fun of Him for a while. They died too, so what? Oh, but did you know that this, this Jesus whom you crucified... This same Jesus God raised from the dead. In the book of Acts, when they said, Men and brethren, what must we do? At this point, their eyes were opened that they knew who they had crucified. It changes everything. The, the emphasized point of the gospel all through Acts is the resurrection. We serve a risen Savior. I want you to think about this. You think back of the, of the men and the women who went through the trials in the Old Testament when David was fleeing from Saul and he was running all over the countryside to the point that he finally went into the Philistines. And when he got there, and he was, the long story short is, he was going to at least look like he was going to fight for the Philistines against Saul. They sent him back to the city he had taken over, Ziklag. They had burned it. The Syrians, I think, had come in. Maybe it wasn't them, but the enemy came in, burned it with fire, took their children, took all their stuff. It said the men, they sat down and they wept until there was no more power to weep. There's nothing. Women cry all the time. It's ugly to see men cry. It just isn't pretty. And these men were... It was heavy. And then, they're, they're just down. They're so far down. And then all of a sudden, David looks up and all these 600 men, brothers... We're looking at David and saying, if we wouldn't have followed him, this wouldn't have happened. They're talking about stoning him to death. And what did David do? He's in despair. He's in a trial. The temptation is there. And it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David was looking ahead to what we look back to. We look back and not only... 
But not only that, you remember when David, when in, in all of his sin, and he and they lose the little the little baby, and David, what did he say? He says, "I can't bring him back, but I can go to be with." Him. You see, what the resurrection tells the Christian is this, that no matter what you're going through, it's going to end well. It's going to end good. Because we serve a living, a risen Savior. He's not dead. There's no hope if you're a Hindu. There's no hope if you're a Muslim. There's no hope if you're anything out there. The only hope is in the living Christ. And because of that, when we're going through these trials, no matter how hard they are, we have promises from Him in these trials because He is alive. Sometimes I think we live life like we don't believe that. And that's why I'm talking about this today. Listen, when we, if persecution comes to us, what are we going to do? Are we going to be like those that stood strong in the past? We love to read the books. We love to tell the stories, preach about them, whatever. Listen, do you think it was fun for those guys? No. Do you realize they weren't looked at as heroes during their time? They were looked at as terrorists. They were looked at as the off-scaring that God didn't even love them. And to stand strong in that. And why could they do that? Because there was a living, risen Savior abiding with them. They weren't going through this alone. Let me read some things to you in closing. I want to give you some promises today. Promises that we have. Promises that we have because our Christ, our Lord, our Savior is risen. We have this one. The first one is this. In Matthew 28, and I'm going to read every one of these, so just hang on. My wife gets mad at me she says, you go too fast for everybody. I'm just fast, what can I say? <laughs> I also have the notes ahead of time. So. But in Matthew 28, 19-20, He tells us to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Do you think that's an easy chore? They're not wanting you to come. They don't want your message. But He says, go and do it baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And listen, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you you realize that when you stepped out on faith and you planted a church and it was scary and all the doubts, I mean the fears, the fears are silly. What if nobody comes? Nobody comes, go home. I mean it ain't that hard, right? But we, we let these things become big. What if we move to, to bow legs? What if, what if they, you know, six months down the road, you start off as God's man, right? And six months later, you're the devil in disguise, right? And you get fired. We had that conversation. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to pray and see where God takes us. Now, that is easy to say, but that's going to be rough lived out. I mean, it didn't happen, so we're, we're counting on that. Still not happening. But the promise is He will be with us always. Second one is this. He will never leave us nor forsake us. In Hebrews chapter 13. And listen, I don't, listen, I don't want you to take these things as just filler scriptures, you know, to finish a message or something. I want you to really listen to what He's saying here. In 13.5 of Hebrews, He says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for He Himself 
has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. My goodness, church, how many times do we feel like God is not here? God is, there's no way God is with me. I know we felt that at times. We all feel, listen, that, this is why we do not base what we do on our feelings. We base these things on faith. Faith is believing the Word of God, taking God at His Word, and no matter what it seems like, no matter what the situation is out there, that we remain true to the course. Not because we're popular, not because people may like us or whatever, but it's what, are we following Christ? Think about this. Continually, crowds followed Him, right? But at the end, He was completely alone. So much alone that He says, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? You want to know why? You're sitting there. You're you're in these benches, these pews today. Why? Because only the Son of God could appease the wrath of God on our behalf. And He's promised. He says, "I'm, I'm going to be with you. Not only that, but I'll never leave you. He goes on. The third one is this. In John chapter 10... He says it like this. Talking about the great shepherd and you get down to the the 27th verse and he says, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. That knowing it... Listen, I want you to understand something today. If you are a child of God, and I want you to listen to this, God loves you. This knowing is that intimate knowing that He has loved you from eternity. You can't even begin to comprehend the love that God has for you. When we begin to question God's love, like there's like you've blown it. I mean you've blown it time and time again. There's no way God could love me. I mean you're sitting here today, but nobody knows you like you do, right? Nobody knows the thoughts you had, even maybe sitting here. But if you're truly born again, God loves you. Now what I didn't just say was this. I didn't say God loves 116 Bible Church. That may be true. I didn't say God loves you collectively as a group. That would probably still be true. I'm saying if you're born again, God loves you. Put your name there. Not only does He love you, but listen to this. He says, they follow Me, meaning you love Him. And He says, and I give to them eternal life. I'll say this probably every time I say it. Eternal life, by definition, is eternal. You're not going to lose eternal life. It will not happen. And why? He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You, God will never lose you. I've heard so many people preach that, well, yeah, you, you know, God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you. But, but, you can leave Him. 
you can't leave him no more than when I was carrying our our first little baby, Courtney. She was a little tiny baby. I was carrying her in the house one time, and there was ice all over the sidewalk. And man, my feet went out from under me, and I had her like this. You know, when you fall, man, it's just reflex that your arms go everywhere. I didn't, everything right here never moved, man. I mean, I hit thud hard. She was not coming out of my hands. Now, she could have, because I'm just a person, but she didn't. But I promise you, you will not wiggle out of God's hands. You will not perish. You will not be lost. Why can I say these things? Because my Savior's risen. The fourth one is this. And you know I had to go here. Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, let me say it like this, if God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Have you ever listened to that? Have you ever heard those voices? You know you're this. You know you did that. You know what you are. Who's going to bring a charge against God's leg? Paul Watcher said it like this one time. He said Satan was just attacking. He said, I just yawned. He said, yep, all that's true. And I've done a lot worse than that. But let me tell you about my big brother. Let me tell you about my Lord. He's taking care of all of that. He says, Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And then He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or sword? I want you to know that no matter what you go through, when Corey and Betsy Ten Boom were in a prisoner of war camp in World War II in a flea-infested, lice-infested prison cell that the guards wouldn't even go in there and take their Bible from them, Christ was with them while they taught and brought people to salvation in Jesus Christ. Right there in that. He never left them. He never forsook them. He was with them all the way through it. No matter what. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And like Peter said, he said, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. Have you ever considered that? Am I, am I on the considered worthy list to suffer shame, to suffer for Christ, to be persecuted? I look at James Coates up there, the first uh, Canadian pastor that went to, went to jail. He was counted worthy to suffer that little bit for the name of Jesus Christ. And what did it do? You want to know how we know we serve a risen Christ? When he went to prison, what did it do to the church? Everybody ran and scurried like little cockroaches, didn't they? No, it doubled in size the next Sunday. When they put fences up and changed the locks on the door, they met secretly with more people. 
Oh yeah, bring it on. Persecute the church. It has never worked before for, for the enemy. So listen to what he says. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, depth. And I would, I would wish I had time to just break all that down. But he says, nor any other created thing. Listen, none of these things shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. And the last one I want to read is in Hebrews chapter 4. 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Trials are a guarantee. I wish I could tell you that every time you have a trial that somehow it's just going to be okay, but I can't do that. You'll hear people all the time when somebody is like sick and it ends up well, they'll say, God is good. Well, I want you to know if it doesn't go our way, God is good all the time. So the question is this. When you think, I want you to think about this for a moment. A couple of questions. Do you know Jesus in His Word? I mean, when you say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. Is it just a I know Jesus and but are you acquainted with him in his word? Do you know him there? Because let me let me say something to you. Do you believe him? It's, remember the problems are it's unbelief and it's a, a wrong understanding, right? So do you know him in his word? Do you believe him? Now, I'm not saying do you believe in him, I'm saying do you believe him? Because what you need to understand is when you're in these trials, this resurrected Savior, just like those two men on the road to Emmaus, they didn't even know you're going to open up your Bible and you're just going to start reading just because it's like, well, I probably just need to. It's almost like He's saying, don't you understand what you're reading? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is going to open your eyes. And your heart's going to start burning. Because this this book is like no other. And this resurrected Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, is going to come in a way that he talks about when we go through trials, and he talks about he talks about how it, it surpasses all understanding or all comprehension. 
How in the world can Christians rejoice in the worst of times? Not in a foolish way, but in a way, here's, what, here's it. It's because of our hope. Our hope is our Jesus in these trials. And I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, and you may live another 50 years or whatever, but I want you to know that this little, this little span of time that we call life right here on earth, it's going to be over just like a vapor, he calls it. It's going to be gone like that. And when we're in eternity with our Lord, oh, the joy to know that no matter what came our way, we glorified the Lord in the fact that we rejoiced in the fact that we could glorify our Lord in our trials. Father, this day I want to come before You.